Well, it is a um, it is a joy to be here and share a little bit about my story to Christ and what life has looked like uh, after getting a chance to know Him and how it's like been walking with Him. So my story starts in India, where I was actually born. Uh, I my parents grew up there, but. My dad, as he was growing up, knew that he would end up in living in Alabama, in Huntsville, Alabama. It was because one of his aunts and one of his uncles lived there, and he grew up aspiring to live in the States. And so I also, uh, so, so I, grew, I grew up in, I was born in India, but immediately around the age of three, I, I came to the States and have lived here ever since. Uh, so as I mentioned, I grew up in Huntsville, Alabama, and I would say that uh, as I grew up, I would describe my upbringing as uh, l- growing up in a culturally Hindu household. And I, what I mean by that is uh, this was something that was passed down from my grandparents. And so that's what, why we believed it, but not, uh, it, not any real reason of um, didn't really uh, follow that for any real conviction, I'd say. So... Um, And uh, as I was growing up, there was one person in my family that was Christian and that was uh, that I knew about, and that was my dad's cousin. Her name was Lakshmi, and she became uh, a Christian while she was in medical school. Uh, but apart from her, um, I didn't know uh, that many people that spoke about Christ growing up. Um, I'd say it's really scary growing up in the, in the Bible Belt of America. I'd say that the best way to describe that upbringing is you'd hear about Jesus, but he would feel like this good teacher— you would hear about scripture, but it would really be just this thing that you could flash on your Instagram bio. And then you'd hear about people going to church, but it was really this, this social club that it, it felt like that at least. Um, and so growing up, I never really understood why Christ died and, and, and why, uh, why there was a need to, to follow him. Uh, I'd say a big part of my story also starts when I was in high school. One of the things that I made a theme uh, of my life pretty early on, at least around uh, before I was a Christian, was that I knew that I didn't have to be the hardest working person, but if I was, um, or I didn't have to be the smartest person, but if I was the hardest working, I could probably get to where I wanted to go. And so I was, I was just like a motto that I, I made for myself, that if I was playing tennis, I didn't have to be the most athletic. If I was in school, I didn't have to be the smartest person. If I was if I was part of some extracurricular activity, I didn't have to be the, uh, the most witty person there. But if I worked really hard, I could get to where I wanted to go. Um, and so I thought that was going to be my motto for, for my life. And I remember uh, when senior year of high school came, uh, it was kind of the decision where most people decide where they're going to go to college. And instead of applying to college, I actually decided that I was going to apply to these programs that are called BSMD programs. And what they are are that you... Um, you basically apply, it's almost like you're applying to medical school out of high school. And if you're pre-accepted, you, uh, you go through your undergrad years, but then you don't have to take the MCAT and a lot of those requ- testing requirements that are, um, and, and grades that you don't have to have such those competitive grades you need for med school. And so it's kind of like a, a pre-acceptance into med school. And then, so after undergrad years, you just, you just start med school immediately. And so I thought, Whoa, this is kind of like a, a cheat code for med school. I would I'd surely be a part of that. Um, so I, I, I took a list of 20 BSMD programs and I applied to them. So I had kind of three lists in those BSMD programs. I had the ones that kind of on the bottom of the pack that I thought, oh, surely I'll get into these. 
Um, I had a middle of the pack list that I thought oh, I'll be competitive for these. And then there was a few that I applied to that I knew, man, it would take some luck of the draw to get into those. Didn't really feel qualified, but I applied anyway. Um, I called those like my reach schools. And at the end, it was really shocking because I got into two programs at the very end of, at the end of that cycle. The first program was one that was kind of in the middle, um, the ones that I thought I was competitive for. And then uh, the other program was actually my top choice in Baylor University. And it didn't make sense because uh, I didn't get into any of the ones that I thought I'd get into. I got into one of the ones I was competitive for, and I got into my top choice program. It's like, this doesn't make any sense. Um, so I looked, as I reflected on that, it was the first time that I realized, uh, again, this, my, my motto at the time was work really hard, you'll get to where you want to go. But I worked really hard and I felt like I got something I didn't deserve. And it didn't make any sense, which I'm sure is foreshadowing for what was to come later on in my life. But uh, it was a I took a step back that day. And I remember looking up going, God, is that you? Um, there was, I, I remember there was... Um, of all the universities that I could have gotten into, I got into one affiliated with Baylor University, which is a Christian institution and probably the only Christian one I applied to, a Christian school that I applied to. So I was like, man, is this like God's way of drawing me to Jesus? And so I remember uh, being, being kind of excited to maybe learn a little bit about who Jesus was as I entered Baylor University. Uh, but similar to my upbringing in Alabama, where I was around a ton of cultural Christianity, I'd say that I faced that again in college. And so I was really put off by people speaking about Christ, but then on the weekends going and bragging about how much they drank. It just, this, this double life didn't seem like that's what a Christian ought to act like. And so I kind of put off my search of, of Christ at that time. But I was really fortunate. My sophomore year, I was able to go on a study abroad. Uh, it was a trip to the Netherlands, and it was an all Baylor student trip. And it was actually led by a couple of Baylor professors. One of those professors, her name was Dr. Baker, and she was well known on campus because one, she was a physician who also taught classes, but two, she spent a subset of her time uh, serving people in Kenya, and she was also a missionary there. And uh, the classes that I was taking at the time were pathophysiology, which is like the study of disease, uh, same class on global health, which is a study of health from like a population perspective. And then I was taking a class, this philosophy class on suffering. And we were trying to answer the question, what is suffering or why does it exist? And so you can imagine me learning about all this suffering from a scientific perspective, seeing how it affected populations of people, and then asking the question, why does this exist in the first place? It was a very intellectually stimulating time for me. But I remember the, the thing that really stood out to me from that trip was actually the, the Baylor students that I was around. I'd say that looking back, there were people that were truly abiding. They they all had uh, dreams of actually stepping in full-time to the work that Dr. Baker was doing in Kenya. It's the first time in my life I was around people that wanted to give themselves up for something much bigger than themselves. And it was very attractive to me. And I asked them, why would you do this? You could be a physician in America and make a six-figure salary. Why would you give yourself up for, uh, to serve people like this? And, and they said it was because of their faith. And they all told me to read a book called Mere Christianity. They said I'd learn a little bit more about why they do what they do. So I, I went back to Alabama and I went to my local library in Madison, which is actually where I, I grew up. It was a suburb of Huntsville. And I went to a local library to pick up a copy of this book. I remember looking online beforehand. They told me they had a few copies there. So I was really excited. But when I went to the, when I went to the library, there was no books on the shelf uh, of mere Christianity. I was really shocked. Like, what? I was told that there'd be a few copies here. 
So I asked the librarian, she told me, hey, go to the go to the main branch 30 minutes away. They have a few copies. I'm I'm checking I'm looking at the the catalog right now. We we see that there's a few copies there. So I go to the Huntsville Library, the main one, like 30 minutes away. And there's uh, when I get there, to my shock, there's only one copy left. I'm going, okay, well, at least there's one. So I pick up the cover, and on the front cover of the of the book of Mere Christianity is a sticker that says donated by Drs. Ramu and Lakshmi Nalamala. And Lakshmi is my dad's cousin that I was mentioning, the only person in my family that was a Christian. And so I was, I was thinking to myself, wow, what are the odds that she donates this book? I'm, I'm the one who gets it. And so I was really excited. I read that book. I don't know if anyone else has, but it's a very dense book. And I remember reading that for the first time. I read it through in like three days. And I, went, and I had this like light bulb go off. Like, this is it. Like, this is what like, I knew about good and bad. And I knew and like, it made sense to me why Christ, had to, why Christ died on the cross and what that meant for me. And so intellectually, it was very, very stimulating. Um, but I would say that, I would say that, uh, as many of y'all know, there's more to Christ than just the intellectual stimulation that comes from why he had to die on the cross. There's a surrender that he was after. And that was something that I was not willing to, to give up just yet. Uh, the funny thing is, is that I'm actually very close to my aunt now. And I asked her before, said, um, I call her Pedama, which is affectionately called aunt, like older aunt in, in, in Telugu, the language I speak. And she, and I asked her, Pedama, like, tell me about this book. And she told me uh, years later that she told me, gosh, like, I never, I don't remember donating that book. Like, that's not something we do. We don't, like, put our sticker on it and donate books to the library. So literally, I'm, I'm convinced it was the providence of God that led me to have that book at the library. Um, I'd say at this time, there was a few other, there's some key people that God put in my life around this time that really allowed me to know him. Uh, one of one of those people, his name was Tyler. He was a, he was a, he graduated from Baylor about 20 years before I did. And he came, so he's got a crazy story. He he went to, right out of undergrad, he felt like God told him to go to Harvard Business School. And so he literally comes out of Harvard, uh, comes out of Baylor undergrad, applies to Harvard Business School, and he gets in. In a class of uh, 800 people, he's the only one to come out of undergrad. And as many of y'all know, to get into MBA, you typically work for a few years to be competitive. But for someone to do that right out of undergrad is, is almost unheard of. So I was like, whoa, who is this guy? Like, uh, he ended up actually after undergrad, starting a hedge fund, doing really well, but selling it to go to China, uh, feeling called there, and then all of a sudden feeling God's call to come and help teach a class in Waco. So that's when I encountered him. And uh, he, he, was, he was a guy that it was very clear from his story that he, he was a follower of Christ, and, and he was radical. And that was very attractive to me. Uh, similar to my friends that were living that I was on that trip with in uh, in that study abroad trip, I felt like Tyler embodied some of those same characteristics. So Tyler, he, he I would say he helped. Uh, he would lead some Bible studies um, with me and some others, and he would help me uh, not just intellectually stimulate me about Jesus, but he would show me who Jesus was and how he that personal relationship that God wants with me. And it was it was truly beautiful to experience that with him. Another person that Tyler actually connected me with that I was really uh, drawn to was a guy named Aaron Fletcher. Aaron, uh, I, did an, I did an internship for him. Uh, he owned like a biotech fund. and But Aaron is probably the, one of the most humble guys that I knew. And I was, I was really drawn to Aaron. Like he, he was a guy that wears like t-shirts that are from his like high school, like cross country days. And he's like this 35 year old guy. Like, who is he? And, and, and so as I got to know more about him and learn about his story, turns out he uh, started, he was a biochem teacher that started investing in some startups, uh, ended up uh, getting, 
make a company called Novartis. It's a large biopharma company. Ended up buying out one of his startups. So he, uh, as many would say, struck gold. And um, during that summer, as I learned, as I was drawn to this guy who was, you know, dressed very modestly and uh, carried himself in a very humble way, he actually invited me and some others to go to his house in Colorado. So of course I was expecting this guy to live in this big house with um, his family, but it was just just very modest house. And I was, I was really struck by that. Like, here's this guy who had everything in the world, but he chose to live in a very modest way. Um, and I, once again, uh, even with him, I knew that it was because of his faith that he lived that way. And there was a lot more people, a lot of classmates that said, that I would say walked with me through this time. But the characteristic, I think, that they all kind of, that they all shared were that they were radically following Jesus. And they showed me what it looks like, what, what a life with Jesus looked like. And at this point, I was just, I just knew, right? I just knew who Jesus was and I knew why I had to, why I had to follow him. And so I remember going to a Tyler's, uh, Tyler's office one day and telling, and he kind of questioned if I was a Christian and I told him, no, I believe this stuff. And, and Tyler's really big on surrender, the word surrender. And so we, we, we prayed that, and I surrendered my life to Christ, I'd say at that time. And I just remember that moment. It was just, it was very surreal to me because not only did I have all these emotions take over me that I didn't know where they came from, but I felt this weight off my shoulder. And I'm, I'm confident that that weight was many things, but one of them is this weight that I've always put on myself growing up about working really hard and striving to achieve. Uh, but there was this peace that I felt after I started walking with Christ that day. And it's um, been with me till now. And I'd say that's been one of the true treasures of walking with Jesus. Uh, one of the, after I became a Christian that day, I was very scared of joining a church because as I mentioned, there's a lot of cultural Christianity around me in, in, in both in college that I, I, I knew about as I grew up in Alabama as well. And I saw there, so I was very wary of joining a church, but I knew that when I moved to Houston to start medical school at Baylor college of medicine, that that would be the time for me to join a church. And so the first day I moved to Houston, I, uh, one of my friends tells me, Hey, you need to go to this church tomorrow on Sunday. I've done this whole church hopping thing. Just go here. You'll like it. So I go there. Um, it's, it's a, it's a pretty large church, about 700 people. Um, and, and, and I go and sit down and there's this Indian guy preaching. I was like, Oh wow, that's kind of cool. Like an Indian pastor. I've never seen one of those before. And, and, and I didn't think too much of it. I left the service that day. But Tyler called me that week and he said, how's God working your life? I said, Tyler, I just moved to Houston. I don't know. But like, I don't know what's happening yet. But I did go to the, I did see this Indian pastor at this church service. And so he told me, I've never seen an Indian pastor in Texas. You should go talk to him. So I go, uh, so his name is AK. So I went to go talk to Pastor AK. Turns out that AK lived in Huntsville, Alabama, where I was from for 15 years. Uh, turns out that my dad's uncle that I was mentioning, that's, uh, that's a physician in the area, turns out he was he did surgery on him. It turns out that my dad's aunt was his OB-GYN. It's like, oh, wow, this like blew my mind at this point. It's like, what are the odds? Um, and and then just to, just to I guess, to, for Jesus to put icing on the cake here, I go over to his house one day just to, just to meet with him. And uh, there's a family portrait on the wall. And it's, it's his entire family. He's got two sons, and his older son is married. There's something about his older son and that marriage that I was really intrigued about. So I started asking him some questions. And it turns out that um, I always heard the story from Tyler 
of praying bold prayers. And he told me about this time when he was in China, as I mentioned, he talked about, he talked about having a hard time raising his kids and doing the work that he was doing. And he asked God, would you give us some help in raising our kids here? And this, this gal, actually a family friend called and actually was like, Hey, I'm looking to spend some time in China. Can I come and take care of your kids? And I've heard about the story about praying bold prayers like that all the time. And it turns out that that, that gal that took help take care of Tyler's kids in China was the same that was this pastor AK's daughter-in-law. And at this point I'm going, okay, God, maybe you want me at this church. So I'll, I'll get, I'll join. Um, shortly after I became baptized, I knew that was a, a big part of the Christian journey of a part of my salvation. And so I was really excited about that. And I would say that that was a clear, if I were to point out, if I were to put an inflection point in my faith, that was probably it. It was my baptism. And then at my baptism, there was a guy named, uh, Utom that was actually watching that baptism. I didn't know about, but, uh, with the guidance of pastor, AK, I went and met with him a few days later. So Utom is a fascinating story. He, he's the same age as me. He speaks the same language as me, uh, Telugu. He also grew up in a Hindu household like me. And turns out he became a Christian a few months before I did. And so I'm thinking, what are the odds I meet a guy, very similar life story like me, right after I get baptized? Like, I knew that me and you, Tom, were going to be great friends. And he told me that day, Yash, me and some guys are going to start meeting up Friday morning at 6 o'clock. Come join. And, but at this time, I was, I was kind of in the heat of medical school, and I'd go to sleep at 3 a.m. and wake up at 11 so I told him, you tell him, there is no way that I'm about to meet up on a Friday morning with, with some guys. Uh, that weekend, I actually went to, went to Waco to visit Tyler. And when I went to, when I was trying to, I was telling him a little bit about my life and to catch him up on everything that was going on. And he told me, Yash, and this is before I told him about you, Tom, or anything that was really going on with, with church life yet. He looked at me and he said, Yash. I feel like what you need is two to three guys that you can do life with that meet up Friday morning at six o'clock. And, uh, I told him, Tyler, you won't believe this. I literally had a guy ask me that this past week and you won't believe his story. Um, so I ended up meeting with these guys. They became brothers to me. We grew a ton in our faith together. And I'd say that, uh, all of us, we just kind of grew exponentially. We saw victories uh, against sin that we never faced before in our lives. It was just, it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful time of growth. In that growth, we learned about the value of discipleship and how guys can spur each other on towards something much bigger than themselves. We learned about evangelism and how the Bible story is so much bigger than the world that we perceive, but is about making disciples and about how Jesus wants his name known to all the Gentiles and all the nations. And as we were just so fervent about Jesus' calls and seeing the fruit in our own lives, we looked around and we were actually really shocked at how the ch larger church, while it was while these things were preached from the pulpit, never trickled down to its members. And that was really frustrating, uh, being a part of a group of guys that were wanting to spur those around us on, but being almost hindered, I think, by the, the structures that exist at some of these large churches. And at this point, I was starting to get a little bit frustrated. And I think the guys kind of realized that there was, there was something more that I was seeking that, I, that wasn't being met at my local church. At this time, I was also wrestling with a personal, um, I'd say, quest of mine, which was I, I around this time I started. Uh, I spent most of my undergrad in investing, uh, doing a lot of investing in startups and in biotech, and I, I knew there would be a time in my medical school years where I would have to come to God and just fast and pray and ask Him, Lord, would you lead me to where you want me to go next? And uh, it's really from I think on Matthew's uh, Matthew's 
in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives three when statements, when you pray, when you give, and when you fast. And so I just knew that fasting would be a surefire way for me to uh, hear from Jesus about where he wanted me to go. And so I decided to fast for a weekend. And that weekend, I actually came across uh, an email, Finney, and he was, gonna, he was speaking at this investor conference. And so I looked up Finney's background, and I was like, oh, this guy's Indian. He uh, went to medical school. He is also an investor. Oh, and he leads a church in town. That's, man, like, would love to learn from him. This is the kind of guy that I'm looking for. And that, that same weekend, uh, one of my friends called me, and he said, Yash, I actually know Finney. Uh, I know Finney's business partner. I can get you connected with him. It's like, wow, like, what are the odds? Like, this is what I was like, waiting for, um, for the whole weekend. And I was, I was so ecstatic. Um, I, I, the first thing I did was, as, as I was waiting a response from Finney's business partner, I quickly, I started reading uh, when, when King Jesus Claims His Church. And there was a lot of things in that book that I would say that I resonated with very strongly. Um, there was topics about discipleship and evangelism and church structure that I was already wrestling with in my own life that I was like, aha, like another light bulb went off for me. But there was also things that I was very, uh, I've never heard about before. Like the word non-resistance, never heard of it. Uh, head coverings, gender roles, modesty, a lot of these things were things that I've never had to wrestle with before. And um, I'll, for the sake of time, I'll, I'll save the, the larger end of the story, but um, when I reached out to when I reached out to Finney, I thought I would um, ask for some advice. Instead, God created this opportunity for me where I actually had a couple of months to come to Boston, and it was I was very fortunate for that experience because I think it's very easy to read the things of of Scripture, but when I think it's really hard when you look around and no one else is falling in these ways. But when I came here, I think one thing that changed for me is what some here have described as a plausibility structure. There's, when people live these principles out, you start seeing the fruit come to life. And that's what I started noticing. I I remember going to Finney's house for the first time and not understanding about the head covering, not understanding why there were all these kids running around, but they were the most well-behaved kids I've ever met. And as I engaged with the women of the church and started having conversations with them, they spoke with such, with such truth and boldness that I've never experienced before. And I knew that there was something about that that you can't put into words, but I was confident that part of that came from the way that they abided in God's ways, uh, all of God's ways. And that's still something that I have a hard time explaining, but I definitely experienced that radical uh, falling of Jesus here. And so... I, as I share all these things, I think there's a few things that come to my mind. First is there's a verse in John 6, 44, where Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the father draws them. And so as I look back at my own life, I see the way that father has drawn me to Jesus. And it's, it's, it's uh, beyond words of why a kid from Huntsville, Alabama, growing up in the environment that I did, ended up being a follower of Christ. Um, but I also am very grateful for a church that embodies the ways of, uh, of Jesus because it has allowed me to also follow suit in that journey. And so I'm very blessed to, for the way that uh, Jesus has drawn me to this place and also for the people here that have poured into me. Um, I feel like I am 
on another, just like my baptism, how it has kind of propelled me into my faith with those around me. I feel like I'm at another inflection point in my faith as I'm growing with those around me here. And so, uh, it's nothing but, um, I guess, gratitude towards a uh, father who, um, does all things for his glory.